You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game and Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into today's episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Also join our discussion on Facebook at Panthers on Tap. We have over 2,500 members. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. Bryson, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, dude. Uh, excited to uh, watch some preseason football this weekend and talk about it. I uh, got some stuff to talk about camp coming up and just excited to get into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. The Panthers today, news of the day, they released their first unofficial depth chart and had a first preseason game this Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. This evening, we have a special guest. He's returning. He, he stuck around. I guess he likes us. Vincent Richardson, managing editor for the Riot Report. Vincent, thank you so much for joining us from across the pond. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good to be back. It's been a few months, but yeah, no, do, doing all right. Good, good to hear. Well, let, let's, let's start off. I'm just going to read for some of our listeners at home who haven't got a chance to read the depth, this unofficial depth chart that got released. Um, just down the board, some, you know, Sam Darnold, obviously QB one, um, PJ Walker, Will Greer, um, getting in, they're kind of split at number two. They didn't really designate them at all. Um, then we got Christian McCaffrey running back, Reggie Bonifin behind him, Chuba Hubbard starting off at third string wide receivers, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Looks like, to, if I'm reading this right, Terrace Marshall Jr. gets the third spot. David Moore is in at four. Shy Smith, five. And it looks like Keith Kirkwood at six with Zilstra and Omar Bayless in the back end. Um, offensive line really hasn't changed since the starting start of training camp for the starters. Left to right, it's Cam Irving, Pat Elfline, Matt Paradis, John Miller, and Taylor Moten. Another interesting thing, Panthers are not, are not carrying a fullback, at least on this depth chart. I know they have one designated, but it looks like they're going with two starting tight ends in Dan Arnold and Ian Thomas. Guys, just initial reactions off the top from this. We'll start with you, Vince. And what, what do you think of this so far? I mean, this does, you know, it looks an awful lot like a, a training camp depth chart in that um, there are some things that are almost certainly, if not going to change, then at least aren't being represented completely as they will they will end up. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, Sam Darnold, QB1, that's, I think that's going to surprise anybody. Um, and, and PJ Walker will agree. I think they're being split too. It's just their way of saying the competition continues really without trying to show their hand this early. I think in terms of when you look at the, the sort of particularly the, the running backs and the receivers, I, I think obviously we know who the, you know, the the starters are. That's not going to surprise anyone. I think the when you get past the first couple of guys, um, receiver and the first you know, McCaffrey running back, I think that's still very fluid. I'd imagine. I mean, you know, we've heard quite good things about CJ Saunders and Ish Hyman um, from from Matt Rule at different points in camp. Um, you know, Saunders have made quite a lot of plays. They're currently listed as I think uh, receivers nine and ten. But um, you. Know, it becomes less fluid once you move past sort of the, the big names, uh, or it becomes more fluid once you move past the big names. So I don't think there's anything hugely surprising 
I would be a little surprised if if you took sort of what you'd assume to be the, the top 25 players from offence and they're the guys who make the roster. I think there are players who there is the chance for things to move around. Yeah, it's the first step, Joe. It, 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 things change a lot. Um, but yeah, there's nothing here that's kind of really surprising, I don't think. Bryson? Yeah, I agree with Vincent. Um, you know, it's, it's the first unofficial depth chart they made clear to, to, to state that it was unofficial and no huge, uh, you know, anything that catches you off guard. Um, what did you guys think I of Trent Cannon? Because he was working in at wide receivers. They got him listed as a wide out here. I thought yeah, that was yeah. kind of interesting. That is interesting. And they also have, have him listed at kick return, I believe. So, yeah, he's, uh, they, they may just be trying to fit him anywhere, <laughs> anywhere they can get him. I don't know that they might like him a lot. I think he's a, a prime example of a guy where these depth charts don't really make much sense for him that he's going to make the roster because of special teams or he's not like, you know, if he makes a 53, it's not because of what he can do as a ball carrier or as a receiver. It's because of what he's going to do on special teams. So he could be listed as running back 37 or receiver 25. It doesn't really matter because if he's playing running back or receiver, something's gone, gone very wrong. He's there for something else. So, I mean, like Julian Stanford's a bit different this year, and he's currently listed, I think, as uh, you know, on, on defense. We'll get to him in a second, but he's he's listed as number two on one of the linebacker spots. But again, he's mainly there for special teams. So I think that there are, I think him listed as a receiver rather than a running back is curious, and I think that is probably telling about how they're using going to use him a bit differently potentially. But he doesn't need to beat other guys out at being a receiver. He needs to beat them out as being a, a special teams player. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into more of these positions here in a little while, but let's go to let's go to the defensive side of the ball, Bryce, and lay it out for us. Yeah, so uh, defense. We'll start with left defensive end. Obviously, you got Brian Burns, um, and then backing him up, they have at number two listed Marquise Haynes, and then third Christian Miller, and fourth Kendall Donerson. Um, at defensive tackle one on the left left side, left defensive tackle, you got Derek Brown, of course. Davion Nixon backing him up and Phil Hoskins behind him. And then the other starting defensive tackle, Daquan Jones and Bravion Roy behind him. Then you got Morgan Fox starting at uh, right defensive end over Yutor Grosmatos. That might surprise some people because when he was healthy last year, uh, Grosmatos got the start. So um, Morgan Fox beating him out um, for that position. Then you got Shaq Thompson at left outside linebacker over Julian Stanford, like Vincent mentioned. But I don't think Julian Stanford is really the second string there. Um, middle linebacker, you got Jermaine Carter over Denzel Perryman. I don't know if that's something w- with his injury status or anything, but Jermaine Carter getting the start as of now on this unofficial depth chart. And you got Clay Johnston at third. Um, Hassan Reddick at right right outside linebacker. Frankie Louvu backing him up. Uh, left corner, Dante Jackson. Rashawn Melvin backing him up. Right corner, J.C. Horn starting over A.J. Bouye. I know he's injured. Uh, you got Keith Taylor behind him, then Stanley, Thomas Oliver, and Troy Pride. Troy Pride pretty far to the back of the pack there. might not be a good sign for him. Uh, free safety, Jeremy Chin, Kenny Robinson backing him up. Um, strong safety, Justin Burris, Sam Franklin backing him up. I'll, I'll start off here. I, I think the biggest surprise is Jermaine Carter. I know it's early, and I know Perriman's injured, but if you would have asked me that, uh, a couple of weeks into camp, if that was the case, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I think it's also interesting that Hassan Reddick's at the out, right outside linebacker and they didn't put him at D end, but I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, they got some other guys there and they, that way they can move around. And if they do drop him back into coverage at all, he can do that. But those are just some of the quick things I saw right off the top. Vincent. 
Yeah, I think there's, there's a few things. I mean, I think sort of positionally, I think the idea that Red existed as a, an outside linebacker and, and Luba as well to a certain degree, I, I, I think they're going to mix between these three, four and four, three looks. So I, I, Hassan Reddick is, is, I think, you know, they signed him to rush the passer. It is clear that that he thinks he is best as a pass rusher. And I think he's, he's right in that. You know, whether he's listed as a linebacker or a defensive end, I think ultimately he's going to spend a lot of time rushing off the edge. I think Morgan, Fo- it, it looks more like what they've done is they've split the left defensive ends as more of the like uh, just pure edge guys. So Burns, Haynes, Miller, and then the right defensive ends, they're listing their sort of uh, what we call like what they call the strong side defensive end. So almost like the, the three tech defensive end hybrid. So Morgan Fox and Gross Matos who are more in the sort of 270 pound range. Um, so I think that's just them listing different roles really rather than it being like a left side, right side type uh, setup. Um, I I do think the Carter versus Perryman thing is relatively interesting. I'm I'm not as surprised that Carter is over Perryman, but I do think it, that is one of the battles where it is genuinely noteworthy who is ahead of whom, if that makes sense. So I I think Carter has more flexibility coverage wise. Perryman is you know he's good at what he does, but what he does is not necessarily that wide ranging. He's kind of something of a specialist. So I, I, I'm not I'm not that surprised, but I think it is noteworthy. Um, I think the 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 other two things that didn't really uh, on the top of the depth chart type things, but I think Stan Thomas Oliver in particular being over Troy Pride is really noteworthy. Like you know, I, th- I think if you'd if you'd listed the the cornerback depth chart at the beginning of camp, it would have been some combination of Dante Jackson, Melvin, J.C. Horn, and A.J. Bouye as the top four, and you'd probably lump Keith Taylor, the the rookie fifth round pick in there as the, as the the number of you know in, in that group of guys who are probably quite safe but the the stand thomas on over troy pride dynamic i think that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch i think troy pride is in legitimate risk of getting cut if he you know he, he his job is far from safe this year so the fact that he's listed currently as cb7 i don't think he's necessarily the best sign for him but again it's early don't don't read too much into that um the other one is is how they've worked out their safeties so on the whole it's not that surprising you know chin burris robinson franklin and then chandler who's been something of a, a standout in camp so far but miles hartsfield being listed as a strong safety is curious given that again he's a guy that for finished last season as the starting nickel so he's another guy who how he's listed isn't necessarily reflective of his role so we can see whether he really is something of a third or fourth string or whether actually his role is more significant than his listing suggests yeah, while we're on the defense, I just wanted to throw this out here, something Curtis and I were talking about before the show. Um, Vincent, I don't know if you saw it or not, but Warren Sharp had some rankings, um, and he had Carolina's front seven uh, ranked at number 10 in the league um, out of, you know, the whole league, out of 32. Uh, do you yeah. do you see some – I mean, do you see some potential in Carolina being a top 10 unit this, this year uh, on defense? Uh, I can certainly see it happening. I mean, it's one of those things where I think last year, Phil Snow did a really good job of doing a decent job with fairly limited talent, certainly fairly limited depth of talent. Um, and they've clearly invested very heavily on the defense this year. I and mean, even if you just look at, if you look at the start, the, the listed starting 11, you know, JC Horn is new, Reddick is new, Fox is new, Daquan Jones is new. That's that's four new starters. And then you add in the likes of Nixon, Phil Hoskins, you know, Denzel Perryman, Luvu, Melvin, Boo, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of new tools for him to work with, particularly in terms of how he can mix, you know, how he can rotate players in. There's there's much more uh, possibility of that this year. So 
I think if things go well, I think it genuinely could be a very good unit. And I think encouraging it's not just a whole load of older veterans stuck together and you're hoping to get something out of it. There is a, a, a real core of young talent. But it's one of those things where it, it it's probably will have a fair idea by the time we get through to, to the start of the season. Certainly through the first couple of weeks, you'll have an idea. But exactly how all those pieces fit together and whether there are some that there are some potential weaknesses that, that could hold the back. I think interior pass rush, how they're going to generate that, I think is still a little bit unclear. Um, and I think that could maybe, that was something they didn't do very well last year. And I'm not totally sure they've fully addressed that. So we'll have to see how that goes. And obviously when you have players like JC Horn and rookie, you know, when you have a rookie who's potentially going to be one of your starting corners, there's, you know, there are probably going to be some growing pains. How significant they are is still, hard to see how chin adjusts to say that there are quite a lot of questions but there's a lot of talent to do stuff with and i was i was pleasantly surprised by how well Filsner did last year as a, as a dc yeah and just for folks who haven't seen that it's been out for a bit but panthers were 10 ravens 9 vikings 8 bears 7 broncos 6 rams 5 washington football team 4 san fran 3 pittsburgh 2 and tampa bay 1 so carolina that seems quite high for Washington, personally. But um, that's just the, the immediate reaction. That seems quite quite high for Washington. But other than that, yeah, I mean, th- th- those are the good names. Yeah, to he, he clearly, his first thing he mentions for Washington is obvious, Chase Young. But yeah, I agree. I think I think that's a little up there for them as well. I think I think their defensive line carries them in that because they have one of the best defensive lines in the league. So. Uh, yeah, they, they've, got a, they've got three really good young D tackles and Chase Young, so that 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 will help. But I'm not sure how how yeah, good exactly. what's behind. And that he's got is, Saints so. at 11. I think that's a reach too. I think yeah, that's, I don't know about that. They lost a lot, <laughs> and there's guys out. I don't, I don't know that. about that one. <laughs> but yeah, I just I I thought that yeah. I thought that was interesting. Any more to add on the sharp rankings at all? We ready to move on? We good? Good. Okay. Yeah, this. Cueing everyone in, we're we're talking with Vincent Richardson here from the Riot Report here on Panthers on Tap. Hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, and always give us a rating. We appreciate it. Make us slide up the charts a little bit more. We appreciate all you guys for listening in. Vincent, let's go. Um, let's go back. Stick into the depth chart a little bit. Let's go back to the offense. I, I failed to mention some of these other guys um, on second and third string for some of these positions. Uh, and I wanted us to just discuss this a little bit. Trent Scott, um, th- this is the second string D-line. You got Trent Scott left tackle, Dennis Daly left guard, Tecklenburg. He got some time earlier this week when Paradis was out. He's in backup center. Right guard, Deontay Brown. And then the third round pick, Brady Christensen backing up Taylor Moten. And then it looks like Tommy Tremble is in as the third tight end for the Panthers. Um, those were some of the other guys I missed, but thoughts on that. Do we see some, uh, something where Trent Scott starting left tackle game one and might, I mean, it, it sure as hell seems like it's starting to turn that way a little bit. If Cam Irving can't stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Cam Irving health thing is, a, is obviously a, a notable question mark in that. I mean, I think, I think the offensive line is it, it still feels very much like they they're gonna it's still a work in progress if that makes sense so i i think that rule was fairly clear even at the end of otas going into camp that really the o-line 
battle would start when the preseason games start to a certain degree. That you know you can do a lot in camp and there is a certain degree of content, but but you only really know what happens when someone goes out there for for 20 snaps and you see how they do snap in, snap out. So I think the the current listed starters are kind of the the veteran low risk sort of set up. You know, I I I think you know talking about like Tecklenburg at center, I think in reality Pat Elfine is probably the backup center. And that if Paradis was to get hurt, that he'd go to centre and Daly would then move to guard, you know, assuming that Daly isn't starting right now. But I think they'd, I don't think Tecklenburg would be just a direct swap in. You know, I think he's more of, he's probably lower down the depth charts in reality than that, than that currently suggests. Um, I, I think there's there's still, obviously, you know, Matt Paradis, if he's healthy, will start at centre. Taylor Moten will start at one of the two tackles, probably right tackle unless something really changes. Um I think John Miller obviously has the familiarity advantage in that he was with the team last year. I think the big questions really are the, the left guard and the left tackle spots. Um, I think it, it is Irving and Elfline's jobs to lose, but there will be opportunities for them to lose them and there will be chances for young guys to win them. I, I, I think Dennis Daly, I think you've got to hope if you're a Panthers fan that he does win one of those jobs. Just, you know, otherwise you've got this kind of, you know, how can I put this? Cam Irving and Pat Elfline are not necessarily bad NFL players, but what we do know at this point in their career is they are not great NFL players. Like if, if you want to build a good offensive line moving forward, it probably does not involve either of those two guys as starters. And so if they are starting, it suggests that that's because there isn't a better alternative, not because they're suddenly going to be these all pro, pro ball type players. So I think what is currently listed as the starters is kind of the worst case scenario starters. And I think if you're a fan, the hope should be that someone like a Daly or uh, Brady Christensen or Deontay Brown or Greg Little comes in and wins one of those roles. I think Trent Scott is a similar kind of, he can play multiple spots. He's a useful utility player. He will definitely make the roster if he's healthy, but again, probably should not be starting. Similar similar to a really Cam Irving in an ideal world. Bryson? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with him. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'd like to not see Cam Irving at left tackle. Uh, I I really just don't have much hope for him this season. He hasn't shown much in his NFL careers at the so far at this point. And and Vincent has said like he's he's not a bad player, but he's not great. And we we all know that Sam Darnold needs the best protection possible um, for him to succeed. And you know he's he's been behind been been behind a bad offensive line and uh, up in New York for a, a long time. So uh, I I would really like to see. I think Trent Scott even over Cam Irving would be more consistent at that that position uh pat elfine at, at left guard uh kind of worries me a little bit as well i'd like to see deontay brown win that position um and and see what he's got this year uh you know he came out he was highly touted uh guard i know he went in the sixth round but you know he was he was consistently on on top of uh, you know, rankings coming out of college as a, as a guard coming out of alabama so i i think uh I, I would like to see deontay brown win that left guard and then Trent Scott won that left tackle, but that that comes to say I would like to see Taylor Moten play left tackle is what I would like to see this year. Um, and and Curtis knows I've been a, a strong pro- proponent of that this year. Uh, I would like to see Moten play left tackle and then, you know, mask right tackle however they need to mask it with whoever they need to mask it. But I think Taylor Moten um, is, you know, he's, he's our best offensive lineman. I don't think that's, you know, there's much of an argument there. And I think he he would provide the most stability there at left tackle, uh, and I think that it it would be worth you know rolling into the season with him at left tackle and just giving it a shot and 
if he's if he's not good at left tackle, move him back to right tackle where we know he's good, and then we'll you know, we'll figure it out from there. But I think it's just just worth a shot. I I think the one thing with the offensive line is that there there's kind of two two different conversations being had at once. That one is what is the best offensive line week one for this season, and the other is what is an offensive line that can be the foundation of a team moving forwards. So I, I, personally, I think if you wanted to have the best five players out there week one it probably is not going to look that different for what's going to currently listed as the first team, for the first string. Like, you know, maybe Dennis Daly would be better than Elfina. You know, that, that that's probably one change. But if you're sticking Deontay Brown in or Brady Christensen in or maybe even Greg Little in, those are guys who, although they have more upside than the players currently listed, there is more of a risk as well. And so it depends what they want to do. I, like, I don't think Cam Irving is the answer at left tackle. I, I don't think John Miller is the answer at right guard. I don't think Pat Elfline is the answer at left guard, though he possibly has m- the most upside of those three in terms of chance to really sort of turn around what his career has been to this point. So if, if you are fully focused on 2022 and beyond, which I think the Panthers probably sensibly have to be in terms of contending seriously, then you do have to start looking at, do we take a slight step backwards right now in order to have a better chance of being the best team possible next year and the year after. Um, because, you know, John Miller's in the last year of his contract. Cam Irving's on a two-year deal that is not that of a franchise left tackle. Pat Elfline's on a three-year deal that's really more of a two-year deal when you look at the money. Like, this, the players who are due to start are not long-term pieces, whereas Dennis Daly could be a long-term piece. You know, Deontay Brown could be a long-term piece. Brady Christensen could be. So maybe you don't start all three of those guys, but I, I think there is going to be one of those conversations where even if they're not if, if there's a bit where Pat Elfline is slightly ahead of Dennis Daly come the end of the preseason how much of a step back are you willing to take in the short term for that long-term reward and I think that's really where the conversation is going to be Sim- similarly with moving Moten to left tackle that he is probably not going to spend the rest of his career at left tackle but are you willing to to kind of fiddle things around in the short term to try and get a, a, a short-term fix by doing that. And I, I'm not sure I know what the answer is, but I, I think that's probably what the, the argument is, is being yeah, had internally. See, that if that is the case, that just pisses me off because you're literally throwing Sam Darnold out to the Wolves and saying, well, you know, we'll do a patchwork offense line this year and then next year we're all in and we're going to bring, you know, Brady Christensen will start at, you know, move into a guard position. And – Matt Rule was today was on Trey Wingo talking about the good teams build a solid foundation around their quarterback and then they bring this guy in and develop him. This offensive line is not a solid foundation and Sam Darnold needs time in the pocket. And when when you have your GM, the start of training camp saying offensive line is a fluid situation, that's a big fucking problem. Like that it's ridiculous. It really is. Yeah. And I'm I, I think I echo what a lot of fans are and they hit the panic button. Maybe we are hitting the panic button too soon, but we've seen this over year in and year out. And it's, it's just, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. I think the, the one thing I would say is ultimately you can't th- fix everything at once. And so, you know, Sensibly, if, I mean, it depends on what position you want to address. Maybe you can make an argument that they probably shouldn't, you know, well, not maybe shouldn't, but but if they wanted to address guard seriously, they could have done that in the second round rather than Terrace Marshall, say, or something like that. But if the Panthers wouldn't get a left, like a week one left tackle in this draft, they would have to have done it with the eighth pick. And that means not getting JC Horn. And, and those, 
those are not you know if, if you do that then you then have a question mark cornerback which was another thing that pack fans complained about for a lot yeah. of last year so I, I I, I do think it's one of those things where you can't fix everything simultaneously. You do it, and it's much, and it, it, crucially, it's much better to actually fix one thing than to sort of half fix two things. Because if you draft a, you know, if you trade that first round pick down, you draft a corner and offensive tackle in sort of the late first, early second by trading down, and you get to the end of next year and the corner's been okay and the left tackle's been okay, you then go into the next year and, and you can sort of, never actually address problems but trying to address everything so there is there is an argument that you you know you, you actually have to fix things when you try and fix them you can't keep trying to fudge everything I do think in terms of the offensive line I think it is probably more likely to be the Panthers offensive line that we've seen maybe last year where it wasn't amazing but it wasn't a disaster either rather than say the Panthers offensive line of 2014 that was just a complete mess and 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 fell apart I, I don't think it's 2014 Panthers offensive line band. I think it's more 2020 Panthers offensive line band. Bryson, let's sense. go to you on this. Sticking with offensive line, we talked about this yesterday on a separate podcast that we were live on, but David Moore, the O-lineman, Panthers got rid of him. He was quickly scooped up by the Jets, and then Field Yates reported today that the Bears, Browns, and Raiders also tried to put a claim in on him. So clearly a hot commodity among other NFL teams. Just for our listeners, do you think the Panthers cut him too early? Yeah, I, I think they do. I, I, the timing of this cut just really boggles my mind. I don't understand it. Uh, you're, he hasn't played one preseason game yet, and you're you're cutting him. Uh, you know, he came out and was one of the the hottest undrafted free agents, uh, and you know they gave him guaranteed money to come play for them, and and they they're cutting him before the first preseason game. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, he 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 had obviously shown some potential to um, be such a hot commodity undrafted. I know he was undrafted, and I'm sure there are reasons he was undrafted. But there are still teams that obviously see some interest in him with all all of those teams putting claims in. And then I think the Jets were one or two on the on the waiver order, and they got him. So um, I I just think the timing of it is questionable. I don't know what happened, you know, in the building. Uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of speculation, but I just. I would have liked to seen him in some preseason games. And I, I think that's the way a lot of Panthers fans feel. Um, you know, our offensive line, like we've just been talking about for the past 10, 15 minutes, there's a lot of questions. So why not throw every dart of the dartboard that you can and, you know, hope, hope something hits the bullseye. So uh, I just, I, I thought it was questionable to say the least. Yeah. I, I, so I, I, I like David Moore as a, as a prospect coming out. I think I had sort of a sort of mid-round kind of grade on him. I, I, I think the one thing, I, there's a couple of things. One is when any, when any player gets cut, particularly someone towards the bottom of the roster, you never quite know what's going on. There's, there's always a chance that something's happened that we just don't know about and, and kind of the Panthers made a decision for something that's not to do with football. So I, I don't have the information. I'm not saying that in an informed way, but there's always that possibility. I think the other thing is that the one thing with Moore as a prospect is it was very much about what he could become rather than what he is right now. You know, he is a player who who has a lot of natural talent, but who is very raw and kind of needed a lot of development. And I think there is, but what I think probably the most likely looking at it is, again, it did surprise me. It wouldn't have been a thing that I would expected or necessarily suggested, but there is a chance that you get through two weeks of camp and he's just not picking things up the speed he needs to. And as a coaching staff, you kind of think, yeah. Although, although he could still work this out, it's it's a 
it's going to be hard like and, and and so there's there's always that kind of the possibility that that but yeah it, it's not he doesn't have the talent but just that you know if a player is not improving you know he's been with them what now since the draft three four months you know if he's not making improvements there comes a point where where you think even if he's got the talent to be very good I, we we don't think that he's going to do it and and so that the, the yeah, sorry, I'm sort of trying to clarify this in my mind, if nothing else, but it's what a player can, it's very hard to separate what a player can become with how likely you think they are to actually become that. And I think particularly with, with players who are very developmental, there is a chance that over time you just you just think that they're not going to become the player you think that you thought they had a chance to become. It's worth taking a shot on them, though. Let's go to our listener question here because it's it stays along the offensive line. This is from Panther Rule. He asks, why are the rookie O-linemen not getting a lot of snaps at the first and second string groups? Yeah, just uh, I mean, that, that, I think under Ron Rivera, we were so used to young players just not getting anywhere near the starting reps or anything like that. You know, it was very rare that you saw anyone but a very highly drafted rookie getting getting meaningful snaps as simply the first half of their rookie season. Um, I think the rule... They are going to start cautious. I think that that's that sort of particularly the offensive line. They're not because because if the offensive line is bad, it negatively affects everything else. You know, if your offensive line is really struggling, even in practice, it means you can't really evaluate the receivers. You can't evaluate the quarterback. You can't evaluate the running back. If the offensive line can't give people time, you can't evaluate anything. And so I think there is definitely a bit where, particularly early in camp, they want to stick out veterans who they know will at least do their job to a passable level and allow them to evaluate everyone else around them. Um, and then you can start mixing people in. I I think if we get to sort of the first or second preseason game in the books and there's still no sign of any of the young players, I think that will be more concerning. Um, I think they're going to use this first preseason game as a as a real chance to evaluate some of these young guys because you know I think the point is, is that during practice you're not just evaluating the offensive line in any in any given drill you're about trying to evaluate everyone you can and so you can't afford to have one unit letting down the entire half of the the, the roster and therefore meaning you can't evaluate anybody else if Sam Donald was just getting hit after one and a half seconds every snap because the the rookie left tackle can't can't hold up it means you can't evaluate anyone other than that left tackle so I, I think they they probably are being quite cautious to this point um, that being said, I would be disappointed if we don't get to see anyone other than these five guys try with the first team through the first couple of preseason games. I think from the first time we had you on, Vincent, um, you know, we learned that you're a straight shooter and, and you'll give it to us and you won't sugarcoat it. So I, I was very interested to ask you this question. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on how Sam Darnold has looked so far through training camp. Uh... It's hard to say. I mean, it's, I think that the, he has not come out and knocked everything out of the park and, you know, everyone's going, you know, this is the guy, no questions asked, suit him up, let's see him week one. Um, I also don't think he's absolutely stunk up the joint every day either. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a learning curve. Um, I think the, the key, I mean, I think after like the first or second OTA practice, Matt Rawls asked what what he what Sam Donald has to do, and he basically said he has to get better. And he didn't just mean that as in like he's rubbish. He needs, you know, he needs he needs to improve more in the sense of that it's about growth. If the play, you know, he's twenty three, he is not hopefully where he's going to end up, and it's about whether he's making progress on the whole. 
Um, it's hard to you know, it's hard to know from practices how much progress he's made thus far, and there's still what five weeks to go until the season, you know, a month to go until the season. So there's still room for him to improve, and importantly, not only improve but just get used to the the, the offense. Um, I I think it's still a little bit up in the air what the verdict is going to be. You know, he he has not answered the question one way or the other. Um, yeah, it's it's going to depend a little bit on everything else around him as well. I, I think the, the, the signs are probably that he is not going to be the guy that is going to carry the Panthers on his back to the Super Bowl this year. And he's probably not, at least from what we've seen so far, he is not going to be the guy that takes a fairly decent team and absolutely sinks them through his inability. Um, I think the with the Jets, it was very hard to tell how much was what's around him and how much was him. Um, and I think at least so far, it seems that he is he he is not the whole problem, and he's probably not the whole solution either. Um, and so, yeah, it's probably it is probably going to take at least the first month of the season to have a fairly good idea of, of where he is. I think, fortunately for the Panthers, although they're not necessarily going to be serious contenders this year for reasons that are not Sam Darnold. The first month of the season is fairly doable. Not that they should be four and zero or anything, but if if they're zero and four after the first four weeks, that's probably not a good sign for the Sam Donald tenure. And if they're four and zero, that's probably a pretty good sign. So I think there there should be a fairly rapid reaction in that sense. But it it's hard to tell after two weeks of practice what what a, what a quarterback is going to be. There there are there are so many other things going on on both sides of the ball that that it's not just about Sam Donald. So I. I I think it's still the jury is out, if that makes sense. Yeah. Were you Curtis. were you that way with Bridgewater too? I'm just curious. Like last year, was it like, yeah, it's it's too early still? Or I think Bridgewater is more of a known entity. Um, in that Donald hasn't he's you know Donald has only ever played for the Jets, and the Jets have only ever been a significantly dysfunctional team since he's been there. So yeah, I mean you you know. A, a, film profile on him when they traded for him and you go and look at the tape and it's you know he's not actually doing the best job anyone could do but the reason why they're currently struggling is not Sam Darnold you know the offensive line was terrible the play calling was questionable you know it, 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 he was not put in a position where he had any chance to succeed I think Bridgewater had shown when he arrived in Carolina he could be a game manager for a winning team but that he probably was not going to elevate anybody and I think who Teddy Bridgewater was last year you know, there was some talk about him potentially getting a little bit hurt later in the season, but who he was through the first half of the season certainly was pretty much who you expect Teddy Bridgewater to be, making fairly good decisions but not doing anything spectacular. I, th- I think with Donald, there's more of a a range of outcomes. Um, and yeah, with Bridgewater, it's more about how much can you put around him to allow him to succeed, whereas with Donald, it's more can he elevate what's there or can he not? And that's, yeah, there's... The, 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 Teddy Bridgewater was much more of a known entity when he arrived in Carolina. Than yeah, I, that's, that's a fair point. From what, what we've seen, I've been to two practices this camp. I think I think it's pretty even keel of what he's done, I guess, if that's the right right word for it. But I I think he's done some good things. And then I there's other times where, you know, he throws a bonehead interception at practice and you're shaking your head. But so far, I don't think he's done anything – to hurt, you know, hurt him. And I don't think he's done anything to wow him, which Vincent, you've kind of already mentioned, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm still 
you know, we still got to be patient. I think by week two or three, you're going to get a pretty good sense of where he's at um, as a type of quarterback. And is he grasping the offense and, and we'll get, we'll get some better idea this weekend when he, when he goes up against the Colts and I'm curious to see how much he's going to play in that game. You know, is it a one or two series or is it, you know, a whole first and second quarter type of thing. So it'll be interesting. I I would, I would be really quite surprised if he played two quarters. I I don't know whether it's going to be, you know, I think he will play. I don't think they're going to go full Rams and just bench the entire starters, but uh, I don't think he'd play be, I'd be, I'd be be really quite surprised if he played Mm -hmm. beyond the first quarter. Um, I, I think the one thing I would say is that even when he was in college throughout his, not just with the Jets, but even in college, Donald has always had the bonehead interception. And, and I don't think you're ever going to fully eradicate that play from his game. I think the question is, you can limit it. Yeah, exactly. Up? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, people, people always use Favre as the example of this, but like Brett Favre threw some really yeah. silly balls. Like, you know, he, he, he made some really terrible you know, decisions with, with the ball, but it, it's about how you balance mm-hmm. the positive and the negative. And I think the the issue with the Jets is that that there was a lot of negative around him, and so there wasn't really much positive mm-hmm. to go with the negative. Um, I think if he throws a, a pretty, you know, if he if he throws a few long touchdowns in the first couple of weeks, I think fans will won't be quite so dismayed when he throws it straight to a to a safety. Um, but but it, you know, if fans are struggling and they're they you know zero and three, and he suddenly does it, then it, it changes the tone of that interception quite a bit, shall we say. Yeah, just real quick. I I agree with you guys. Um I think he's I think he's shown improvement from week to week throughout training camp, uh which is something that you like to see. I think, you know, the first week was kind of rough. Second week he was okay and then I think last week was probably his his best week of, you know, training camp so far. So, I, I he's definitely he's shown improvement and um obviously, you know, he he's not, you know, out there wowing everyone, but He's made, he's taking the little steps, getting better every day, which is what they preach, 1% better every day. So uh, I think, you know, as long as he continues to do that, which isn't easy, um, as, as long as he continues to do that and, you know, take the steps in the right direction and limit those mistakes, like you guys have been saying, um, you know, this team this team could be mm-hmm. decent. So uh, I, I've been saying all offseason that, you know, if, if Darnold can play – you know, like a semi-competent quarterback, then I believe that they could, you know, they, they could be sniffing the wild card uh, spot in the playoffs. Yeah, so. you're a little early on that. <laughs> you could be the first to call it, but we'll see on that one. Well, guys, we're listeners out there. We're, we're talking with Vincent Richardson from the Riot Report on Panthers on Tap. Vincent, you wrote, you wrote an article yesterday. I skimmed through it a little bit last night talking about Dan Arnold on the Riot Report. You kind of were comparing, contrasting him and Olsen, both coming in at the age of 26 to Carolina. Do you think Arnold has what it takes to be the next great tight end? I mean, and we can go a step further, and you think he could be comparable or even better than Olsen? Yeah, and I think the Olsen one, the Olsen comparison is not just really quite early, but also... uh... You know, I don't think it would be fair to him or to Greg Olsen to try and make sort of that comparison this far out. I think the the key point for me is that when, when, you know, Greg Olsen has become or did become one of the very best tight ends in the NFL. But he arrived with the Panthers. Yeah, he was a former first-round pick, of course, but he had decent seasons with the Bears, but never really, you know, 
taken off. I think he had some like 470 yards the year before he arrived in Carolina. You know, had been used in a somewhat specialist role, mostly as like a short tight end red zone type guy um, and was not the world's best blocker. Um, and, and, you know, basically developed between the ages of 26 and about 28, he, he developed into really one of the best receiving tight ends in the NFL and became, crucially became a good enough blocker that you could keep him on the field for, for pretty much every snap. And I think in some ways, Dan Arnold is in a similar situation. You know, I think saying that he will necessarily become that, that player is, is, is tough, but, but, you know, he was very good with what he did in Arizona last year. You know, he, he only had some like 45 targets or something, but he he made the absolute most of them. You know, he he, he was a, a very effective working vertically. He ran some nice routes. He's very effective in the red zone. You know, he, he is a converted receiver and he plays much, I think he's a player who's, who is much better on tape and is much more impressive than I think his name around the NFL suggests. Uh, and is the kind of player who, who can be turned from something of a specialist not really the focal point of an offense to a really significant contributor. I, I think similar to Wilson, a big part of that is his blocking improving. And you know, Matt Rawl spoke about it. You know, he is never going to be that enforcer at the line, you know, line of scrimmage who's driving defensive ends off the ball. But if he can take that step to being a competent, decent blocker who can be on the field every snap, then that opens a lot of things up. Because part of the reason why he didn't get thrown the ball more in Arizona is because they had to take him off the field when they wanted to run the ball. You know, he did occasionally block, but it was rarely because he was frankly rubbish at it. Uh, and, and you know, if you're playing 45 to 50% of the snaps, you're going to have a, a nice role and you can be a useful player, but to, to get the kind of, you know, number one tight end numbers, you have to be playing 70, 80, 90% of the snaps. And I think his blocking improving is a big part of that as it was for Olsen. I, I think year one, he's probably more likely to be used as the sort of specialist receiver guy who does block occasionally. And I think he could have some 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 pretty big numbers this year. I think he's clearly got quite a repertoire, uh, sorry, repartee with um, uh, Sam Darnold. Um, and I think he, he he gives them that that presence in the red zone they, they didn't have last year. Um, whether long-term he can become a number one tight end, I think he's still up in the air, but I think that he does, he does have that upside. And I think while expecting him to become the next Rogelson, it would be unfair. I think thinking that he can only be this specialist guy is also probably a, a foolish path as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's shown flashes in camp. Uh, he, he's obviously, uh, we know he can catch the ball. And like Vincent was saying, you know, he has to work on that blocking aspect because, if he's if he can't block, he's not going to see a lot of time on the field. And we know that Carolina's going to like to run the ball, Christian McCaffrey. Um, so uh, if, if he works on that blocking, um, becomes a decent blocker, then absolutely, I think that, you know he could he could take that next step and become a number one tight end. He's got the receiving ability um, for sure. You know he's the, the big red zone target, and he's made a couple of nice catches in camp. So uh, I think long term, he he has shown that he has potential and uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see if he improves on that blocking or not. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for this guy. I really am just, just from hearing people talk that have been at training camp, it seems like he's become, you know, the, when things break down, Darnold's looking his way kind of guy. And I, I really think he's going to play a pretty big role in the red zone. I predicted yesterday, I think he's going to have six, seven touchdowns. I really do. I think he could, what, I think he had 400 some yards last year with Arizona. 
You could see six, 700. He could stretch the field. I'm really excited to see them expand upon the tight end position because we know last year they never looked that way. So it'll be interesting to see how he pans out this year, but I'm really excited about him. Bryson, you want to kick things off with the the sacks? Yeah. Uh, re- Let's go to the defensive side of the yeah, ball. Yeah, real quick, though, you, you brought up a point, and I just want to mention, um, you know, they have all these targets this year. Christian McCaffrey coming back. They drafted Terrace Marshall, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. Uh, then we're talking about Dan Arnold. You know, somebody is not going to get targets. Somebody is going to is, – is not going to perform up to the standard that we are expecting them to perform. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's, you know – if that's going to be Dan Arnold or if that's going to be Christian McCaffrey, not getting nearly as many catches as he did, you know, when he was healthy, which I, which I think is realistic, but um, I just want to throw it out there. And, and, you know, just because they're spreading the wealth more this year and you you might not, you're you're not going to have three 1000 yard receivers this year, uh, plain and simple. Christian McCaffrey was out. So uh, I, I think when it comes to that aspect, I think fans should, you know, take a step back and realize there, there are much more, targets this year much more uh, wealth to spread and Sam Darnold I think has the ability to spread the ball more than Teddy Bridgewater did so um, let's just calm down on that part but um, but as you alluded to there is a competition um, on the defensive side of the ball this year Vincent Um, we talked about it with our friends last night on their podcast uh, between Hassan Reddick and Brian Burns and whoever uh, you know finishes with the most sacks at the end of the year uh, the loser has to buy the winner a golf cart. Who do you think wins that competition? Uh, I think Burns is the better rusher. Um, whether he gets the most sacks, I think is, I think probably it'll depend how the season plays out. It'll basically depend on who gets double teamed the most. Because if if they keep double teaming Brian Burns, it's probably going to be Hassan Reddick. If they keep double terming Reddick, it's, it's probably going to be Burns. So it, it'll depend, I think, more on how offenses try and block them than anything else. But if it was just down to who's okay. better rush rate, I think. I agree. I, I think it's going to be Brian Burns. Um, I think, you know, um, I think he could finish the season with 14, 15 sacks if he stays healthy and plays all 17 games this year. So I think that's a really, uh, you know, a realistic number from a player of his uh, stature. I mean, last year he had the most pressures uh, for a defensive end in the league. He just has to learn how to finish finish those pressures. Um, I know like last year, me and Curtis were talking, uh, he seems to have a tendency of like going high on the quarterback and missing the quarterback just ducks a little bit. And um, he just kind of like kind of whiffs at time at times. So I think if you, you know, he works on finishing those plays, uh, then he could definitely reach the number of uh, 15, 16 sacks this year. Curtis. I think some of the, sorry, I, I, I just really, I think some of that is also about what the interior rush does as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like if, 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 if you've got a really effective interior rush, it means they can't then step up and, and it creates more opportunities for those edge rushers. And I think, you know, I, I did a, an interview with um, the D-line coach earlier in the offseason. And I think his his point was was that, that you know, that is very much going to be their approach, that the, the interior kind of creates push and, and pins quarterbacks and then they get the actual sacks from the edge. And I did me wrong, I think they're going to also, in, in clear passing situations, they're going to do all kinds of funky things with their fronts. You're going to see the likes of Morgan Fox and Gross Matos drop in as three techs and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I think a thing that will help both rushers a lot is if they're able to consistently mm-hmm. get push up. The no, I think I think that's valid. I I do think though, it seemed like last year he did tend to go up higher, go for the ball a little bit more than he probably should have, and just taking the sack. And I mean, maybe that's just the way. And that's just the way he is. But 
just from a fan perspective, I think it seemed like he would go high on a lot of the quarterbacks last year when he was going in for a sack. And I think he cleans that up. He added weight this off season too with muscle. So that that'll help him as well. Um, but yeah, I think, man, they added so much on that D line. I mean, there's a reason why the Panthers were on sharps list. So I think Burns is going to benefit off of that, you know, Daquan Jones, Morgan Fox, we've talked about them already. These guys are going to help him out and, more and Brian Burns ain't going to be facing double triple teams anymore kind of thing because there's going to be other guys to worry about so that's going to be nice Vincent so far this camp or what I think this is today was day 12 of training camp they're heading off to Indy tomorrow who's been your camp MVP so far I know it's early <sighs> Yeah, I don't. I really don't know who I'd go for with that. I think probably m- most improved, not only improved, but the person, the, the players who stand out, who didn't necessarily go in expecting them to stand out. I think you know Matt Rule. I think kind of you know Saunders, the receiver from uh, the Ohio State, and Sean Chandler, the the former safety from Temple, who played for the Giants for a few years. I think those are guys who have impressed the most compared to what the expectations were. I, I think with the issue you always get is that, that you know, the, the players don't actually play that many snaps all the time. And so that the one or two plays stand out um, here and there, but you know, I think, you know, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore are going to have some good plays. McCaffrey is still very, very good at football. Um, I think Arnold has been someone who, who was impressed, not actually as someone who's going to be the, the focal point of the offense, but as, as somebody who has shown they can legitimately be a really significant part of the passing attack, you know, quite often when when teams go and sign these sort of mid-level free agents, you're not sure whether you're going to get someone who's going to be a really useful contributor or someone who's going to make like three catches over the course of the season. You know, you, you don't know whether you're getting Ted Ginn or Jericho Cotchery or whether you're getting Jason Avant who made like I can't remember it was five catches or whatever back in 2013, I think it was. So you know, you you you, you, you never quite know, and I think it was good to to see Daniel be a guy who clearly can be a significant part of the offense. He's not just going to be, oh yeah, you know, whereas David Moore, the receiver, I think is probably more likely to be the guy who has, you know, returns kicks, but probably gets about five catches or, you know, 15 catches and isn't ultimately that significant to the offense. But I mean, we'll see. I really didn't answer the question at all. But yeah, no, sure no, the no. Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's really fair to say MVP as in like most valuable player, uh, but I, definitely the player that we've heard a lot about um, that we don't necessarily, you know, would hear a lot about is, is one that he uh, Vincent mentioned was is Sean Chandler. It seems like every day almost that Sean Chandler, Sean Chandler's name is mentioned by, you know, media and pl- people that are there at camp watching. It seems like he comes away with an interception every day. Um, he, he seems to be in, you know, at the right place at the right time a lot. And I think he's going to, you know, make it, make his way onto this 53 man roster and hopefully have a significant role in the defense and, and at safety. So I think Sean Chandler is one that's, that stood out to me the most so far at camp. Yeah. You guys have mentioned a few. I was, I mean, it was kind of, you know, the standout guys at camp, you know, Curtis Samuel comes to mind in years past. Then there's other guys you mentioned that, you know, they don't do a damn thing in the season. So there, that's, <laughs> that's what you gotta, you gotta balance it out a little bit, but yeah, I think, I think the couple of the guys you guys mentioned for sure, they're always being talked about at least online through the reporters. Um, I think we'll close with this Vincent. 
Last time we had you on, it was quite a while ago, but I remember you said this when we had you on. I think you said this is this has to be a big year for Joe Brady. Essentially, essentially, you said it was a, I, at least from what I took from it, it was a make or break year for him as a play caller. Do you think he has what it takes to make the next step this year? I think he he has the potential to be. I, th- I think. I mean, I, I, again, I wrote an article about probably a week, ten days ago, around Joe Brady and sort of what, you know, his evolution as a play caller. And I, I think a big thing is. I don't know whether it's Matt Rule giving him the freedom or him having the confidence to do it, but I think a lot of the time last year, and obviously the fact they had a very curtailed offseason didn't help, but it felt very saints light, if that makes sense. And and I think it is it is important to note that I think Matt Rule valued his experience with the Saints as much as his what he did with LSU were in that hire. Like I I think they they did run a very intentionally run a very Saints-like offense last year. And I think that can work, and that's not a problem necessarily, but I think it needs to feel a bit more like Joe Brady's offense this year. Whereas last year it felt a bit like Saint. Yeah, it felt too much like just this is what the Saints do. So we're going to run the same stuff because Teddy knows what the Saints do. And I've coached with the Saints. So let's just run pretty much the Saints offense with a few twists here and there. And I think it really needs to be a bit more of Joe Brady's offense than just effectively the core Saints package. And I think both with him and Phil Snow, neither of them were helped by the fact they didn't really get an off-season last year. They didn't get a chance to, to, to install anything particularly complicated. And, and particularly on the offensive side, that's a real issue. So I do think he he should get better. I mean, you know, he'd never called plays before at the NFL level. He'd never really run an, an offense, even at the, the college level. So I, I, there are reasons to think he'll get better. Um, it's just a matter of whether he does it. And we won't see that in the preseason. You know, you're not going to see anything particularly cool and funky in the preseason. I don't think you might see little hints of stuff, but it's it's going to be a fairly vanilla offense as it is for every team. I think we'll have to wait until the regular season to see whether whether there's just more wrinkles to sort of the core Saints stuff. I mean, personally, I want to see more RPOs. Um, I think that's what that's what LSU did so well under Joe Brady was incorporating RPOs and also the way in which they combined RPOs with, with more of like pre-snap reads. Um, I think I'd want to see more of that, um, but who, who knows? I, I do have one more thing that I wanted to ask Vincent before we let him go. Um, Vincent, I just wanted to look, you know, look at, forward to this weekend. Um, is there anything specific that, that we should look out for um, in the first preseason game? Anything that you're keeping your eye on? Um, just something for the fans to watch for? Um. I think offensive line is obviously one. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to dominate, but if the offensive line is spending the whole time just trying to cope rather than anything else, then I think that's that's probably not a good sign. I think run defense is the other. Um, I think you know, you will see very vanilla packages um, from both offensive defense from not just the Panthers and the Colts, but pretty much every team throughout for a season. Like they're not going to run their full packages. It, it is sort of tame down football. And because of that, a thing that really shows up is just run defense and, and, and run offense. Because if you, you know, a lot of that is not always super complicated. It's about executing and doing your job well and playing with good technique. And I think that's if the Panthers struggle to stop the run, that is not a good indication for how the season is going to go in that regard. And I think if the Panthers stop the run really well, then that's that's a pretty good sign. I think you know that's clearly something they they put a lot of work on this year. You know, bringing guys like Daquan Jones. Denzel Perryman, those are players who excel at stopping the run and can do some stuff against the pass. So I, I think 
yeah, run, run defense and just general offensive line it, it would be the, the real ones in terms of how the season's going to go. And then obviously there are the individual player narratives. You know, you almost certainly have some receiver who has a notably good game you know, from one team or another. You'll have a DB who might like, get a pick. And so there'll be the individual narratives. But I think as a team, offensive line and run defense. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, just get some form of football. Football and, is uh, back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited to watch something, you know, a little bit meaningful for the Carolina Panthers. So um, absolutely been too long. Amen. Well, Vincent, we want to just thank you again for coming on. Hopefully this next uh, stint here, we can get you on a little bit earlier than your last, the last time on, but we just, we appreciate all your insight. It's great to talk to you. Yes. No, it's, it's, it's always nice to talk about this football. We appreciate it. You guys can give us a, a follow on Twitter. It's at V Richardson 444. Also go check out the Rye report. He's got several articles up there. Really good reads, really good insights. So go check that out. And it's always a pleasure, Vincent. We appreciate it. Thank you, Vincent. Thanks. Again, I just like to thank Vincent Richardson for coming on. A lot of good insights. Bryson, I want to just start where we ended with him here. Panthers' first preseason game up against the Colts. They're going to have a couple joint practices here to end the week. Just give some fans a little bit of insight. What are you looking forward to? Who are you looking at this weekend? Who do you want to see shine, you know, in this game? Yeah, uh, I know me specifically. I'm excited to see uh, both backup quarterbacks, P.J. Walker and Will Greer, see what they have and see if one can take the next step and, and win that second job, not just, you know, kind of roll into it and uh, just see which one takes command of the of the backup for Sam Darnold. And I think there's a lot of positions where they can – um, keep an extra. And I think quarterback, I really just, I feel like they're going to go to this year and because they have so many receivers that they could keep say they, they got a couple safeties they could keep. They got, you know, CJ Saunders, where, wherever he's going to be, whatever he's going to be considered a wide receiver, a, you know, special teams player, whatever. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of positions that, um, you know, they would like to have the flexibility to keep an extra. So um, the quarterback competition is, is interesting and I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited to see Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I think he's going to show out in the preseason. Um, I, I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, and then, obviously, my boy Brandon Zilstra. I'm excited to watch him. Uh, I think, you know, against these second-string, th- third-string guys he's going to be playing against, I think, you know, he's he's a little bit more talented, in my opinion, than the, the people lining up across from him are going to be. So it'll be exciting to see what he can do um, in the preseason. Uh, and then, obviously, you got J.C. Horn, I don't know how much he's going to play. Uh, we were talking the, the Steelers let Najee Harris play quite a bit in their first preseason game. So I would imagine J.C. Horn would get some work. So we'll, we'll see what he can do. Yeah, I think a few of those guys you mentioned, I'm excited to see. Shy Smith comes to mind. Terrace Marshall, want to see him line up. You know, and I don't know how much, you know, reps he's going to get just to keep him fresh and healthy this season with his previous injuries. Obviously, the offensive line, I want to see how they stack up. Whoever's going out there with the number ones, twos, you know, Brady Christensen, another guy I want to see. Can he hold his own against some of these, the defense of the Colts? They got a pretty good defense. So I'm curious to see that matchup. And then going to the defensive side of the ball, there's a few guys, you know, I want to see Nixon. What can Nixon do? That's, you know, that guy's been high up on a lot of people's list. Curious to see what he can do against, you know, this Colts offense that's battered to hell right now. <laughs> Feel bad for them. But, you know, Frankie Louvu, another guy I'd like to see. What can he do? 
excited to see Jermaine Carter with the ones, you know, um, with Denzel Perriman injured. So yeah, there, there's a few guys in here. Another one, Sean Chandler. I'm excited get to see what this mm-hmm. guy has, you know, with the second and third string team. And if he can make some noise, maybe get a pass deflection or a pick. And then CJ Saunders. I mean, do they line him up at Hunter? <laughs> at all. <laughs> I don't that that would be very interesting. And you know, he's he'd probably be the best punter in uh in punt. Do they coverage. run a fake? Because uh, did did we see that in training camp? They were running, they ran I believe yeah. a fake, yeah. some sort of fake with and they, they they overthrew it. it. It was Charlton that threw it and he he overthrew it. That was it. that was fan fest, actually, I think. Yeah. 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 So so um Another player that, you know, doesn't really get talked about a lot that is going to be interesting um, because, you know, it's a, a very important year for him is Joey Sly. So let, let's see how he does in the preseason. Um, if he's missing PAT still and he's missing, you know, he seems to struggle really bad with like the 40-yard, 30-yard field goals. Mm-hmm. If he's still doing that and, and it's showing in the preseason, they're probably going to bring somebody into camp and and they're going to bring somebody that's going to, you know, go against him for you know, bring competition to that position. And uh, I think that that's a very important piece to watch and just see how he does throughout the preseason. Yeah. And it's hard to, you know, training camp a lot of times. So they have for fans that don't know at Wofford, they got three fields and the farthest field away typically um, is the, where the special teams work. So it's, it is hard to see what he's doing kicking wise, but when he was at fan fest, he, I think he missed one field goal out of all the attempts. And from my count, I swear to God, he hit a 62-yarder. I, I, we tweeted it out on our account. From what my, yeah. my recollection, he nailed that 62-yarder. Yarder. And, I mean, it was, it was kind of slick conditions. I don't think it was – I don't know if it was raining at the time when he kicked it, but it definitely was wet on the field. So, you know, he's, but you but he's always think. had the big, big leg. We knew that. It's, he's, it, him, it's an accuracy issue. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, the, they weren't really lining up to block the kick either, so he didn't have to worry about that. So it, it'll be interesting to to see how he does and if he has improved because I think the talk this offseason has been that he hasn't really, you know, done anything physical to improve, but it's more of the mental aspect he's been working on, um, which, you know, is is a very, you know, more as important as any other part for uh, the kicker's game is, is the mental aspect to the kicking game. So um, I think it's just, you know, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, again, that's a one o'clock kickoff. I'm trying to check here. I don't know what station that is on. Panthers, Colts. Let's see quick. It looks like live on ABC, NBC, ABC. How the hell are they getting games? Um, interesting. So it'll be on one of those channels. You'll be able to find it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Panthers at Colts Sunday at one o'clock. I'm very excited. We finally have football back. It was good to see the Dallas, you know, Steelers Hall of Fame game. Um, but yeah, yep. it's you know they only get three preseason games this year, so guys trying to make the roster. It's it's do or die right now for these guys. So it'll be fun, man. Absolutely. I'm excited. Absolutely, party at Curtis's house. <laughs> well, now let's get to our draft picks of the week. All right, this week I switched back to my drink of choice, which is whiskey. Um, you know, I, I've i said before, and, I, and I'll say it again, um, one of my favorite distillers is Buffalo Trace, and I am drinking their signature 
um, Buffalo Trace. <laughs> Shocking, but uh, it, it's a very beautiful bottle. It's hard to get around here. Um, I think I actually got this one in West Virginia uh, when I went up to visit the family, but um, it's Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, I drink it over ice. I put a big ice cube in there and let it melt a little bit, um, you know, tame it down a little bit. And it's one of my favorite, probably is my favorite whiskey. Um, it's very smooth to drink. Uh, it's got a huge, you know, paragraph on the back of the history of Buffalo Trace, but uh, it's on the bourbon trail in Kentucky, Franklin, uh, Franklin County, Kentucky. It's a beautiful distillery. It's free to tour. Um, and they have so many different options there to, to buy uh, product wise. So uh, if you do get a chance to buy a bottle, I highly recommend it. Um, like I said, it's, it's one of my favorite whiskeys, uh, one of the easiest that I've found to drink. So um, give it how a much, shot. How much are you paying for that bottle? How much does that run? Uh, well, if you buy it at the ABC store around here, it's normally about 40, 50 bucks. But if, if you do it, like if you go to like South Carolina or somewhere else where the, you know, it's not regulated by the state, the price you can, you can pay 60, 65, 70 bucks for a bottle of it. Um, but you know, I, I think it's worth it. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's so good, easy to drink. And, um, I, I try to, you know, milk it for as long as I can that I have, and I only try to drink it on special occasions. So I, I figured I'd give a review tonight for by it. the drip. He's drinking it by the drip. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, tonight I'm drinking a blood orange wheat Hefeweizen. Hefeweizen. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I had to Google it before we came on. It's a Hefeweizen style ale brewed with oranges. This is a local one close to us here in the triad. It's out of Louisville. It's at West Bend Winery and Brewery. I went there this weekend with my wife. Really nice, really nice place. They got a really nice outdoor seating area. They had band playing. Um, on a Sunday food truck, really cool atmosphere. They call this it's on the side. It says beer Mosa is what they're calling it. Uh, it takes the traditional heap of style and puts it on its head with an absurd amount of blood orange and navel orange puree. Each ship gives a rush of refreshing citrus flavors pairing perfectly with a dry weedy mouthfeel this rattler never lasts too long when we tap it. See what all the hype is about. So five point. Dang, that, that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, they're dude. selling it. Five point one percent. It looks like this is a sixteen ounce can. Um, but yeah, it's again that's in Louisville, brewed and canned in Louisville, West Bend Winery and Brewery. Go check them out. I really like it. It's smooth. It's light. It's a It's it's this is a beer you drink on a hot summer day. So. No, I, we got to right. message these guys because I, I, I'm tired of giving free promos to people and we got to get something here at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we're I'm telling you people, if you're listening, every you, episode, you, you, you're a part of a brewery, you work for one, reach out to us on Twitter. We'd love to pro- promote your guys' drinks. You give us free beer, we'll drink it, we'll promote it on our podcast. We, I love doing this. This is just something a little bit unique and we both like you know, trying beers and whatever else, liquor, whiskey, what, whatever you want. But yeah, this is a good yeah. one. I'm, I'll definitely be finishing I, these. Yeah. I, and I want to ask, I want to ask the people a little bit of a poll here at the end. I've always pronounced it Hefeweizen. As and, did and, I. And how are you saying As it? Did I. Okay. Yeah. Hef, every time I go to the a brewery, it's like, can I get a Hefeweizen? And then I feel stupid sometimes. So I just say, can I get a half a, cause I honestly, I don't know what the proper, so I Google it tonight. And accordingly it's Hefeweizen. That's what Google says. Okay. Hefeweizen. All right. All right. 
So all right, well, I don't know. Well, I'm 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 still gonna call it half a. I'm just gonna you know, go with F A. It's, it's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> F A. Yeah, there you go. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening to us on Panthers on Tap. You can catch all of our episodes every Thursday wherever you listen to your podcast. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And give us a rating on wherever you listen to your podcast. We would really appreciate it. And we love you guys all as listeners. We're doing this for you. And we both just love talking football. So uh, and, and I just wanted to, to, to say, you know, we're, we're steadily growing here. Um, every week, it seems like we're getting a couple more listeners, a couple more listeners, you know, like, like I say, uh, just steadily growing. And, and we're really appreciative of that. And, you know, we're we're trying to, to build something that, you know, Panthers fans like us have a voice and and uh, can can express the way they feel about things. And, you know, we, we try to bring on guests that that are in the know, like, you know, Vincent gets to go to or well, not go in person because, he, you know, he lives in the United Kingdom currently. But uh, when they were doing the, the Zoom interviews and stuff, um, you know, he, he he's there. So he gets to, he gets to talk to the coaches and stuff. And we, we're just trying to just just build that brand. And, and you know, we're, we're really appreciative of, of the people that listen every week. And we just hope to keep growing from from there. Yeah, we appreciate all all the listeners, all the follows, all the retweets, all the likes, all the shares we do. And it, it all comes back to you guys when we can bring people on and you get their insight, too. So we appreciate it. And as always, 